Season one of the Chela to Chela podcast, featuring interviews and conversations with disciples of our Gurudev, Paramahansa Yoganandaji. I'm your host, Brenda Roberts, and in the Chela to Chela podcast, we will be talking with devotees from all over the world, connecting informally on a heart, soul, and day to day level. In Season 1, we'll be talking with devotees from Italy, India, Germany, and many parts of the USA. You'll be hearing heart-touching and loving tributes about our Guruji, and you'll also hear those sweet, inspiring stories of How I Found Master. And today we have with us Dr. John Harrison, 
Hello, John. Welcome. How are you today, Brenda? I am happy to be talking with you and introducing you to all the listeners, all our devotee listeners who are going to be interested to hear your story. So first of all, tell us where you live and where you go to service. Okay, I live in uh, San Marcos, California. So I go to two temples. I go to either to the Encinitas Temple on a pretty regular basis, or I go to the Escondido Temple on a pretty regular basis. Okay. And um, John, are you married? Do you have children? Were you brought up in SRF? Is your spouse in SRF? Give us a little overview. My wife and I have been married 47 years. Whoa. We, we both got into SRF together um, in 1971. I was working um, at Scripps Hospital and in La Jolla, California, and we met on a Catholic youth retreat. And um, we started dating, and we both decided to one day go to um, the uh, Self-Realization Fellowship in Encinitas together. Um, after I had gone there one time and then Kate had gone there one time and then we went together and, um, that was 1971, like I said, and we've been together ever since with master and, um, a lot has gone under the bridge. And if you want to hear some of that story, I'm glad to tell you. <laughs> well, sure. Tell us some of that story. And, and you have children, John, you brought up children um, in SRF. Yeah, we have two children, both Korea bonds. Wow. They're in their 40s now, so you can see that I'm a little bit older. And now I have grandchildren, uh, and both my grandchildren from my daughter's side are going to the uh, SRF youth camp this week and the following as well. And then my, my son is uh, married, and they have a seven-year-old boy, and they are uh, living in Japan and California at the same time, two places at once. Uh-huh. John, you have been um, really dedicated on this path, and uh, it, it's a way of life, I'm assuming, after 47 years of marriage with SRF and bringing, bringing yeah. children in. So what stories were you going to tell us? Well, um, there's always stories that are um, off the chart that are, you know, on that personal basis as well. But there, I'll share you a couple of things. Um, my search has always been looking for something on a spiritual level, even since childhood. And um, there were things that I used to do to question uh, exactly what my place in the world was from early, early childhood on. I started reading metaphysical books at age 16. Um, I was uh, playing water polo and surfing a lot and had a lot of time to read as well. So I started reading books like Alan Watts and some of the other Buddhist teachers. And, but I was re being raised Catholic, and, uh, but I, I, I knew right away that there was something about um, a church of all religions somewhere on the planet and a place where you could uh, be accepted for who you are and what you are. And, but I, I didn't find it at that point. And then um, my journeys took me. I went into the Navy. I was a hospital corpsman in the Navy during the Vietnam era. I worked in uh, Oakland Naval Hospital. And again, was very interested in metaphysics, being in the San Francisco hippie scene at that time, and seeing all the ways people were starting to talk about 
consciousness and states of mind and altered realities, it made sense to me. And um, again, when I got out of the Navy, um, a friend of mine had committed suicide. And I thought, well, some of the people that I was associating with and knew their lifestyle was a little bit on the edge and a little bit sad. And I realized that I needed to go back to the to church of some sort. So I looked back into the Catholic church and that was not what I was looking for. Even though I was raised Catholic, I knew about all the saints and all the different, different modalities of the different priests. I thought at one time I would be a Franciscan monk, but um, I used to tell God, should I be a monk or should I be a father? Should I be a monk or should I be a father? I have these questions all the time. And I thought if I was a father, I'd at least teach my son how to serve. Because I had to figure out a way to keep surfing into my lifestyle. <laughs> so when I got out of the Navy and my friend had committed suicide, I even looked into the Mormon church. I took all the Mormon lessons. And the day I was to be baptized, the main bishop that was going to baptize me said, now make sure the night before you, you uh, come to baptism, make sure you pray about this. Make sure this is what you really want to do. I was gung-ho. I was all set to become a Mormon. And uh, I woke up this morning, this one morning in Los Angeles, this feeling and this kind of a semi-lucid voice came and said, move to Encinitas and live with your friend Billy and uh, don't get baptized today. Wow. And uh, that's odd. And I heard that I heard it again. So I immediately got up and called the bishop and said, I'm not going to get baptized. You told me to pray. And my prayer said, don't get baptized. And he started basically yelling at me over the phone that I was listening to the demons or something. Oh and I, hmm. wow, I've heard this kind of tune from the priest. So I said, well, thank <laughs> you very much. I loaded up my gear and I went to Encinitas and I moved in with my friend. And uh, I was still kind of torn by that. And I saw SRF because I used to surf in front of Swami's Beach all the time. And in the old days, we all thought it was a nudist colony. <laughs> and um, when I finally talked to one of the young, one of the monks there, I mentioned to him that I thought this place was a nudist colony when I finally met him. He says, it is. We denude your ego. Whoa. I always remembered that, you know. Ain't but that, that the truth? <laughs> that's before the, before the story. So then I got involved with Catholic youth group. Uh, again, down here in San Diego area and started doing youth retreats with Benedictine monks. And um, then I had a trip down to Mexico to surf and down to Mexico. I was in a situation where I wanted to really know what my role as a youth minister would be for me if I was going to do um, some type of teaching or some type of uh, Catholic work, what would it be? And when I had this uh, dream of a yogi coming to me in full lotus uh through the sky wow and he had his hand raised and he said just always remember to praise god in everything you do and a week later i went to srf for the first time and it was the first time i'd ever meditated but there was uh, the picture of jesus and krishna on the altar and that's when i realized that's this is it this is a church of all religions of all faiths this is what i'm looking for this is what i want and this is why i had the dream of a yogi coming to me sitting in the full lotus saying, praise God in all that you do. So I told my girlfriend, who's my wife, uh, Kate, I said, I went to this great church and 
So she thought it was kind of, well, here we go again, something new with him. So she went and checked <laughs> it out on her own and she bought me the book of the autobiography of a yogi. And uh, that finally answered a lot of the questions I'd had since childhood about my place in the world and who I was. And I really did believe from then on that I am the soul. I'm not the body. You know, this is just a brief moment in time. And so. isn't it interesting, John, that you would say that because um, your work is very much with the body and and the energies that um, prevail in this Mayak uh, plane that we're in. So it's really a, a, a dual role for you in, in some ways, isn't it? Yeah. So um, I was working at Scripps Animal Hospital by the, that time, and Brother Jeevananda, like who had said, we denude the ego, um, said, I have a book for you to read besides the autobiography, and it was Kinship All the Life. And um, this is a book about animal communication. And he said, also read the book, uh, Jonathan Livingston Siegel, which is interesting because 30 years later, I'm now adjusting animals as part of my profession. I do animal chiropractic at two hospitals. So I've been able to utilize my knowledge, and not just for humans, but also for the animals. After that, um, we were uh, realizing that we wanted to get Korea, and we also wanted to keep doing our Catholic church stuff because we started going to mass on Sundays as well as SRF meditation. We did that for almost three or four years. We got married and then we went to Iowa. During that time, I worked full time in an orphanage. I was a child care counselor, and then I was also a... Um, youth counselor for teenagers, running an SRF meditation group, going to school full-time, and we also had two children. Um, we had a midwife for our first one, and then Kate and I delivered our daughter by ourselves. It was quite an interesting period of time. And so we came back in 1976, and I've been practicing in Encinitas since 1977, and today is 20, 2018. And I still have a small practice in Encinitas where I take care of uh, humans twice a week. So, John, you're, you're um, doing humans twice a week and you're doing animals twice a week. And, and you had told me previously that you are, you're doing preventative care now. You're not doing um, traumatic or chronic or, right. or those kinds of um, uh, modalities. Yeah. Is that correct? My office visits are... Um, uh, an hour long so that a patient can have enough time to get worked with, but also get some exercises, get some advice and not have to see me so often because I'm not available as often as I used to be. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So. And, and so you moved back to Encinitas and you've been serving all this time at the temples. And um, I'm just wondering if you would talk to us about maybe some of the major lessons that you've learned or that have been up for you in this lifetime? Um, we were very fortunate because we had so many great examples. We had the people that I got to meet um, who knew Master when he was still in the body. We got to meet all our great uh, early monks from Brother Premamoy and Anandamoy. I mean, we were friends with these gentlemen and with the nuns, Sister Shanti, and, you know, they were part of our 
sphere of influence. So everything that we learned basically was from their examples and from their uh, attitude of enjoying life and being part of life, but also maintaining the value of spiritual brotherhood and also relying on your guru and relying on the teachings. So um, I became very involved with my friendships with Brother Vedananda. He was a medical doctor, also a monk. And so we were able to talk about science and we were able to talk about uh, neurological situations and how they applied to the Hatha Yoga. I was able to talk to Brother Dharmananda and get um, big counseling about how to be a father, how to, how to raise children correctly, how to use discipline when it was necessary, and how to allow freedom for those points of view. Okay, uh, stop there now, because um, Brother Dharmanandaji, of course, is um, one of my uh, mentors of many, many years and divine friends. So I, I'd like to ask you if there was some um, counsel that he gave you maybe about being a father since that was what you were just talking about but is there something that you could pass on uh, to all of us that brother g had counseled you on um well brother um the thing about brother was he was very personable and he was also very humorous so he taught with um he taught with a uh a direct line of communication, but it had a gentle approach that you could take whatever brunt he gave you. I'll tell you one story. He wanted me to do the Mahamudra at one of the uh, early Kriya ceremonies. And I said, well, you have all the monks down the street, the brahmacharis and the postulants. Why aren't you asking them? He says, no, I want you to describe, uh, to demonstrate that you're a professional, you're a chiropractor. You should be able to do it in front of your, uh, congregation and i said well brother are you sure you know i mean come on you know and he, goes, and he looked at me with this look like you better pay attention john <laughs> and i said well i wish i had a mask on and he looked at me and he said what do you think you have on you have on a mask <laughs> yeah and then we laughed and then i did it but he was very very much my friend as well as uh our minister and uh, he, I, he he made it so that you never had to feel embarrassed about asking him a question about your spiritual life um, because he knew us all pretty well inside and out his intuition was tremendous yes I found that with other the, the other monks that, that we knew brother Premamoy was you could just feel brother Premamoy's stature just by standing next to him true yes Yes, we were. We've we've been very fortunate in that in that regard um, to be in in that company, to be here now at this time or that time of the um, well, we could say the beginnings of SRF. Really, you know, when you think about how it's going to proliferate and and continue, we're one of some of the some of the young ones, you know. Yeah. So, Joan, we were talking about. Um, our dear brother Dharmanandaji and all those great souls that we, you and I, and and many others um, that live in this area and have been around for a long time have had the privilege and the honor and the blessing of uh, being in their divine company and their divine friendship. Um, 
Brother Dharmananda being uh, probably one of the premier ones because he was such a dear friend to everyone. I think everyone that, that knew him and counseled with him had that same feeling that he was their friend. He understood them and knew them and loved them just as they were. It was such a, a wonderful um, boon in this lifetime. I know that one of the things that um, you worked with Brother G, and I know you worked with him in, uh, with his own body in the, in the final days, um, but you also worked with him uh, about the energization exercises and your understanding of physiology and the whole medical uh, perspective. Can you, would you share with us some of that? When uh, Master's Bhagavad Gita came out, it was daunting to say the least to look at these two huge volumes of things we hadn't read before. And so I'm kind of the kind of person when I read a book that is this large in information, I'll go to the index at the start. And what I did is I started reading the index for anything that was of a neurological or neurophysiological definition that master was talking about. And all of a sudden I realized there is more science in the Bhagavad Gita than I could ever have imagined. And I got really excited because I would go from one page and get the information of uh, the subtle energies and how they were working with the nervous system. And then it would lead me on to a completely another page. And pretty soon I had covered the almost the entire Bhagavad Gita by reading the index. And it made me a better chiropractor and a better medical professional because um, I was finally able to understand, uh, like I said earlier, I've known for a long, long time that we're the soul first. We're, we're just, this body is just a vehicle. And Master really opened up how this works and um then to think of him even referring a few times in his lectures about chiropractic uh which was really really interesting so obviously master understood spinal manipulation and what it does and how it impacts the nervous system and frees up that amount of energetic then i started thinking well He's mentioned so often what the energization exercises are doing, and so many people look at the energization as an exercise, and it is, he keeps saying it over and over, it's pranayama, pranayama, pranayama. And I thought, okay, we have to really look at this energetically and see what we are doing with the energization exercises. And I remember one of the monks told me a long, long time ago when I first started doing them, I said, what are these all about? You know, why aren't we learning Hatha Yoga and all these extreme body positions that everybody associates yoga with? And he said, well, if you think about it, we're reading in the autobiography of all these ways these great masters are controlling their life force. These energization exercises are teaching you from a very, very easy level at the start of how to control your own prana. And what is exactly happening when you are doing the uh, tension and relaxation? You're actually utilizing, without creating a lot of bodily waste, you're, you're allowing the tissue to become full of a concentrated effort to make a muscle activate without fatiguing it. 
you're actually inducing it to reawaken itself and its cellular structures. And, and with the breath, the oxygenation factor, and with the exhalation, all of a sudden your, your battery body is, is glowing with more vitality than you could have ever concentrated by <laughs> going out and doing a really hard workout. Wow. So I would talk to Brother Dharmanand about this and Brother Vedananda about this because, again, they were both very, very scientific. Brother Vedananda was a medical doctor, as I said, before he became a monk. And Brother Dharmananda was an engineer. He knew all about electrical current. And um, so then he asked me, he said, why don't you go through all the exercises and give a class on it? And I thought, well, oh, oh, oh sure, okay. So I made it a point to um, about, it took me about three months. I went through every exercise and I looked at every exercise from a physiological point of view and from an acupuncture point of view. In other words, what acupuncture circuits are being affected uh, from a point of view of what emotions are tied up in certain body parts and certain organs that are associated with our mental states. And also, um, just how do you feel after you do the exercise or when you're doing the exercise? What kind of feeling comes over you? I do five of each uh, very, very slowly. I really, I like concentrating on them. One of the things that I, I think a lot of us miss is the importance of that relaxation after. Yeah. The, the relaxation is, is, is the enjoyment. It's, it's, it's very interesting because... If you go to it in a hurry, you're, you're not concentrating anymore. And pretty soon it is just a muscle activity. And pretty soon you're just kind of going, I can't wait to sit down and meditate. <laughs> but, but the energizations are really um, quite dramatic. The first exercise is your hands are in position, in the pronoun position. And what you're doing is you're connecting as you're standing on your feet and you bring your hands together in pronoun and say that prayer you are actually grounding all the energies of the body in an alignment factor and you're getting zapped right away with the heart. You're bringing your heart energy by connecting the two palms together. And it's, it's fascinating if you just stand in what's called Tadasana, the, the, the yoga pose of standing with your hands in pronouns position and just stand there for a few minutes, you'll actually feel your body just going into a, a beautiful electrical current of alignment so i did what brother asked me to do and um i went through all the exercises and it, and i gave this class and what i thought was going to be a two-hour class ended up to be two three-hour session classes it was and i never gave it again because uh, i gave the notes to all of the monks and i had no idea where they ended up until i talked to you about it a few months ago so um but Again, um, even when I do my chiropractic treatments, I have my patients focus on the body part that I'm working with uh, and really learn to connect the healing. Even if they're not a yogi or yogini, I say, look, just use your mind and visualize this part of your body that's hurting. And I want you to uh, bathe it in this feel good feeling or visualize that if that's hard for you as if it's disappearing and get used to asking your body to let go of things that you don't really need. And um, 
I'll have them do breathing and I'll do some uh, tapping or some massage work or some uh, electrical work on the spinal currents itself. And you actually see this dissipation of energetics that are painful points or uh, traumatized points. And to see the relief is, is the most wonderful. And um, I've never healed anybody, and I don't know what that is, but I do know that I can help that body heal itself. Wow. So, There's so much we don't know, isn't there? I mean, this, yeah. uh, wow. What a, what a creation God has, uh, has manifested here. So much. Well, now, I, now I'm doing this with animals, and the animals are very tuned in, uh, believe it or not, um, because they're standing on the ground in their bare feet all the time. And they they process a lot of information with us with body language. So uh, I give them full respect when I work with them. I work with rabbits, I work with cats, I work with dogs, and occasionally I work with horses. And the whole deal is to let them with their body show me what their problems are. And then I, when I start working with them, then they're very receptive. And this allows me to do more for them because I'm actually plugging into them rather than me telling myself what I'm going to do for them or do to them. Or, right, know. right. You're, you're becoming a, a good receptor right. for their broadcasting, that, that tuning in, tuning in. Boy, that tuning in stuff is so important on so many levels, isn't it? And again, it's, I don't know how this, is, this works. This is, these are all master's teachings. I just try to apply them as best I can. You know, I, I, I really don't know much. I just, uh, I, being a, the way my mind thinks, uh, I've always thought there's got to be something that master says that's not true, and I've never found anything not true. <laughs> Good for you. Is, uh, all right. So then tell me, please tell us um, what kind of wisdom have you garnered in this lifetime that master has given you um, when it's not an ego wisdom for any of us, but, and maybe that's a, a wrong word for me to use, but you know what I'm saying? What, what treasure of consciousness um, has been uppermost for you as you look back on your life at this time? Um the biggest thing for me is that I'm, I'm always interested. I'm interested in knowing a little bit more and feeling a little bit more of what he's talking about. And uh, it's kind of like he's always giving me just enough to keep me going one step more, one step more, you know. Um, I'm always interested in what this path is showing me. That's, I think that's my best thing that I can tell you about my wisdom. Uh -huh. Just being interested. And that brings a lot of humor and a lot of joy because you see your mistakes, but they don't really matter that much as they used to me. I mean, I, I don't like making mistakes. Don't get me wrong. And I don't like to feel bad, but uh, I do find myself laughing at the things I do sometimes that are just, oh my gosh, I really did that. Oh, look at what I just said. That is so crazy. Oh, you would, I don't know nothing, you know, and, and then I get a good laugh out of that. Yes, yes. I think that's one of the, the things that Guruji has given all, if not many of us, is this ability to um, step back and laugh at ourselves. Um, there are those times, however, when we're not able to do that because we're in the fray, so to speak. Um, 
have you had those periods of being in the fray or dark night or dry periods? And if so, how have you dealt with them? Every day. Ah, um, what does that mean, John? Well, you, you know, um, you, you, you remember we're, we're, we have our individuated mind and then we have the mass mind and we're all caught up in the mass mind because we're all connected. And so there's a lot of times where I feel a lot of compassion that turns into sympathy, uh, where I feel the pain and uh, of others suffering. I know what suffering is. I've had enough of it in my own life and I've had my patients leave their bodies in difficult situations. And I've had uh, friends, like I said, commit suicide and, uh, my personal life, I've had bankruptcy and family members that didn't understand me. And, you know, being a yogi is kind of, uh, you're kind of a black sheep in a lot of ways to people, you know? Uh -huh. um, but the biggest thing is, is that um, I always have the guru to go to. And with my wife being a member, um, when she's down, she, I help her. When I'm down, she helps me. And we always, we, we read out loud a lot of master's stuff where we've always, even if we've read it a million times, um, we listen to brother anonymous tapes on spiritual marriage. We listen to all the CDs. We drive a lot. So we listen to the CDs and we talk about them afterwards, or we comment on something that we heard or we, we read. Um, we, we really help each other in those ways. And we also give each other space so that she knows my needs are to surf and to, be do my beachy thing and i know that her needs are to do uh the work she does and also so we have those periods of time where we're also getting away from each other too you know but basically we're both parents we're both grandparents now and uh we're both at that period of time where uh we can laugh a lot more about <laughs> yes yes okay well one last question when you get to the other side and you look back on this lifetime, what is it you would like to be able to say about this incarnation? Uh, it's a red letter life. Uh, I got everything I ever would want in one incarnation. I mean, I got a body. I got the desire for God. I got a guru. Um, what could be better? I got people that love me and I, I'm in the environment of uh, master's temple, which is a beautiful thing. And I'm, I also know that if I go back to the astral and divine mother says, you want to go back down there for anything? Or do you want to go and help me? I'm going, yeah, sure. I'll go back down there. It's not a problem. Why, why not? You know? Well, you've learned the, the technique of hanging on to master and, and, uh, you know, it's very inspiring to hear that you you read aloud and you discuss the tapes and you listen to the CDs and, you know, that's all that effort to hang on to the guru. And uh, we all we all do that. We all need to do that. And it's our saving grace, isn't it? Yeah. Mm -hmm. All right. Thank you, John. Jai Guru. Jai Guru.
Well, dear friends, it's wonderful to hear these stories, isn't it? And in just a few moments, I have a great quote of Gurji's to share with you. But first, if you would like access to the private page where guest contact and other information is posted, it's free and easy. Just email to subscribe to the mailing list. The email address is subscribe at soulcallsinfinity.org. For those of you who may be driving or jogging while listening, no worries, the link to subscribe will be in the show notes. The Chela to Chela podcast is sponsored by Soul Calls Infinity, and the music is courtesy of Soul Calls Music Meditations by Saranya. I'm your host, Brenda Roberts, and I'd love to share your story. Email me for guest guidelines and details. That's Brenda at soulcallsinfinity.org. Looking forward to sharing the next episode with you, where we'll be meeting another uniquely devoted disciple of our beloved Master, Paramahansa Yoganandaji. And now, in closing, let's listen to this quote of Master given by Brother Achilanandaji in the 1986 Self-Realization magazine. Master said, We all come from God. Once we were strangers, but when we love God, we become brothers and sisters. That relationship is the strongest of bonds it holds now and in the hereafter. So, dear ones, until next time, let us join together in affirming it's a wonderful life with Guruji in it. Jai Guru Jai. Through all.